Good morning. morning. I have the uh, privilege of introducing our guest speaker this morning, Bishop Phil Brownlee. He is from Peace Tabernacle in South St. Louis. He's also the co-founder of the St. Louis Pastoral Fellowship, which is where I got to know him, bringing uh, lots of leaders from churches all over the St. Louis area together. Uh, You would be interested to know that it was at uh, Peace Tabernacle where Sandy Whalen held her Bible studies for many years. Um, And so uh, uh, we have kind of a connection there also. Phil brought with him this morning uh, Bishop Rand, or uh, sorry, uh, Deacon Randy and Priscilla, and also Phil's wife, Sherelle. Um, Please welcome my friend, Phil Brownlee. Hallelujah. Don't know. Is this thing on? Can you hear me? Let me see. Yes, you can hear me. God bless you. I'm honored and happy to be here. I'm honored and happy to be here. Um, I'm Phil, Pastor Phil. He said Bishop Phil, don't, that title don't mean, a, it's, it's, it's not a lot, it just means in, the, in my culture in the inner city, if you're a bishop, it just means that you oversee other churches besides you. I pastor a church in South City, uh, which is kind of a crazy neighborhood, it's kind of mixed. If you go one block this way, you're up in Cherokee where it's a mostly Spanish-speaking community where they do Cinco de Mayo. If you go a block the other way, you run into Bosnians. If you go a block another way, you might run into drug dealers and everything else. I'm in the heart of the city. Our church is, and our church is not a regular church. I call it an outdoor church inside of a building. Because we do things a little bit different. You know, we don't have a dress code. You don't have to dress up. Somebody might have on a tie. Somebody next to you might have on shorts and sandals. It really doesn't matter. Um, we, we would love to have a, a more mixed congregation, but it's a little mixed. I'm a, I'm a unity person. Thank you, Deacon. I'm a unity person. And I truly believe that we should bring all our brothers and sisters together. Our church is a non-denominational church. I'm taking a minute to introduce myself because before I preach, you need to know who I am. (laughs) It's a non-denominational church, and I guess I just believe in all the denominations. If you believe that Jesus came and he's the son of God, and if he died for your sins and rose on the third day, and by believing in him, you have the gift of eternal life, then you're my brother and my sister. And it's just that simple. I think all the rest of it is things that we complicate. Um, Our church has been in existence for about 17 years. Um, I also lead the Pastoral Fellowship of St. Louis. The Pastoral Fellowship of St. Louis is an organization that's been in existence for about six years. It's been in existence for about six years. Right now, we collaborate with over 100 and something churches. Uh, a lot of black and white churches, a lot of different denominations. And part of the reason that we joined it together is because nobody knows a pastor but another pastor. Nobody knows a, a Christian leader besides his mate but another Christian leader. And if you step into leadership to do a work for God, it's, it's very costly. And when I say costly, I'm not just talking about financially. I'm talking about your life. Your family suffer. Everybody suffers. Because if you give your life to God, you take on something that's bigger than anything in this world. And you, you work for somebody who's in charge of everybody. And a lot of times when you do a work for God, people around you don't understand. I see some of y'all shaking your head. It's okay. You can make noise while I'm preaching. You can say amen. I know you might be used to just saying, but today you can make a little noise. It don't bother me. Okay. I'm used to people saying, yeah, that's right. Okay, all right. Let me know you're here. Let me know you're with me. So we started the organization because any kind of ministry leader, that's how I met Sandy, any kind of ministry leader that's doing something for God, they need some help. And sometimes the people that you work for don't understand. Just like trying to save a drowning man, if you try to save somebody who drowned, they usually reach out and hit you. 
So people don't understand that when you do a work for God. So we, we created that leadership. We don't charge any money. We don't have dues or anything. I was sitting up one time and I came up with the idea. I said, we need to do something to help pastors because some of the organizations that I was in really wasn't doing a great job on helping each other. So I called my brother that's dean of students of Covenant Seminary, my brother-in-law. And I, I don't have seminary training. He did. I got my training somewhere else. I'll tell you about that in a minute. And I don't want to scare you, so I better start preaching before I tell you. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I called him and I said, let's get some people together. We had about, about 12 black pastors and three white pastors came together for the first meeting. And we met and we talked about what we can do. The next meeting, we had about 60 pastors, black and white, from the inner city and the outer city. Uh, now, most of our meetings, we have 50, 60, sometimes even 90 people at the meeting. It's not just all pastors. It's anybody that want to do a work for God in some type of leadership. During this time, although we don't take dues and we don't have any money, we, I met someone. If you ain't on me to preach, I already started. I met someone at... Uh, uh, a uh, business meeting like, and they was talking about secret Santas. You know what secret Santas are? They the people, they put $10,000 on a credit card, they go out to Walmart and they pay everybody that has a layaway for Christmas. And they call them a secret Santa. And I was at the meeting and I, and I just said, you know, that don't make a lot of sense to me. You might say, no, they helping. I say, but if they were at Walmart getting their layaway out, everybody there got some money. Because they finna get their layaway out. I say, so all you did is gave them something to do with their money because you paid that. I say, if you really wanted to be a help, you need to find some honest inner city pastors because we have people in our congregations that got $20 and five kids and they don't have no food for Christmas. So if you really wanted to be a help, you would go into the real field and you would deal with people who have a need and they don't have no money to even have a layaway. And I didn't know it, but one of the guys, a little scringly looking, little scroungy looking guy sitting on the side, he was, one, he was the secret Santa. And a multi-millionaire. I didn't know it. So I'm leaving, and he tapped me on the shoulder and said, I want to take you to lunch. I said, okay, short, long story short, that year he bought 800 turkeys that we gave out for Thanksgiving. And then we gave out about 1,000 toys for Christmas. A long story short, this is five years later where we're going into our sixth year. Last year we had 2,000 turkeys that we gave out for Thanksgiving. We had 13,000 pounds of chicken and 5,000 toys that we gave out for Christmas. And now the reason why I know so many preachers and pastors, because I called all the, the poor churches that I knew in the inner city and said, you want to bless some families? We got some stuff for you. And so that, that gives me the opportunity to know a lot of pastors, a lot of preachers. Now I'm going to preach. I'm going to tell you one thing. Uh, <laughs> I will tell you one thing. I, I, I run this organization now. I'm the visionary. I got a lot of great leaders, black and white, who help me do the organization. We don't collect dues, so we don't have any money. We just work on whatever we get. 99.8% of whatever we get, we go, go straight out to the people. Um, but I didn't start off like this. Uh, that's my wife. That's my friend who I've been knowing since the 70s in high school. Uh, that's his wife. Uh, I have seven daughters, 14 grandkids, two great-grand, three great-grandkids now, right? That's the other day, three great-grandkids. And by the time I was 21, I had been locked up 19 times. So I wasn't always a good guy. I'm going to just give you that taste, and then we're going to go ahead and we're going to get to the Word. Uh, before we go to the Word, can we pray quickly, and then I'm going to preach. Before we pray... Let me tell you, because once I pray, I'm going to start preaching. I'm going to try to go fast because I've got a lot of stuff to say, and I want God to use me and speak to me, and i got a short time to do it again. The way that I preach, I didn't necessarily come to XUG and give you a hermeneutical breakdown of the text. I preach as God gives me utterance for the time, such a time as this. When I say such a time as this, I mean for what's going on right now and what God has given me that's going on in this room and at this particular season. I'm gonna move kind of fast. I jump from the word to the natural, to what's going on, to everything else, because I believe in all you're getting, you should get what? An understanding. Thank you. 
Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. I pray, Lord, Father, right now that you enter this. You already in the room. The praise and worship was awesome. You came in. You came into our hearts. We don't look for a visitation today, but we look for you to make your habitation in the praises of your people. We praise you for who you are and for what you've done. You've done so much. So many testimonies are in the room. Some of us should have been dead and gone a long time ago. But because of your grace and your mercy, you saw fit to keep us for such a time as this. Now, open up our ear gates, O oh God, and our mind. Give us an ear to hear, a mind to understand, a heart to receive your word. What the Spirit of the Lord has to say to the church in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. 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 If you have a Bible, if not, you can go to the scripture. I'm going to talk about David for a little while. We're going to go to 2 Samuel 9. And I'm going to do the first through the seventh verse. We're going to talk about David. Y'all know David. Amen. King David. Yeah, you, that David, not the David to stay down the street. King David. King David, we call him the giant killer because he killed a giant. But before he killed a giant, he killed a lion and a bear. Amen. Yeah. He did awesome works and he was a great man. Can anybody agree with that? David was a great man. But did you know that David was also an adulterer yes. and a murderer? So that means that God could take bad people and do good things. I don't know about you, but that excites me already because I was real bad. If he could change David, he could change all of us. So David went through all these things. He went through ups and downs because life never goes up steps like we think it should. You'll go up a little bit and you'll drop all the way down. You'll go up some more. You'll drop all the way down. We have good days and we have bad days. Uh, we've been taught, we understand through, 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 through teaching and through life that sometimes you meet God mostly in your valley days. Because when all the bills are paid and everything is fresh and good, you say, oh, God, you're wonderful. But when you really call on God is when you ain't got no money, the bills ain't paid, you're hungry, you don't know how you're going to make it, your son messed up, your daughter messed up, you're sick, then you cry out for God and you really look for a relationship. Amen. Amen. So David had a lot of ups and downs in his way coming to be the king. But where we come into the story at now, he's already the king. He's the king and he's not at war. Nobody's messing with him. Nobody's trying to take over the country. All the bills are paid. Everything is set up. He's at peace and he got money in the bank. He's doing real well. And why he's doing well, like most of us would say, ooh, this is time to go on a vacation. This is time to enjoy myself. This is the time to have fun. David thought another way. And that's where we come into the story. You can put the scripture back up now. We come into the story in 2 Samuel 9 and 1. I'm telling y'all to put the scripture up. I didn't even pull it up on my thing yet. Amen. You ready? And David said, Is there yet any that is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Saul was the king who David took his place. And when he came to the kingdom, he made friends with Saul's son, which was Jonathan, which was his best friend. Now, at this time, Saul and Jonathan had been killed. And when David had peace and we had everything together, he said, is there anybody left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for the sake of Jonathan, my friend, too? And there was of the house of Saul a servant whose name was Ziba. And when they had called him unto David, He's, the king said unto him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant is he. Three. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan, Have yet a son which is lame in both feet. Not in one of his feet. He's lame in both feet. And the king said unto him, where is he? And Ziba said unto the king, behold, he is in the house of Machar, the son of Emil, in Lodabar. Say that with me, Lodabar. Lodabar. The name even means something. This is the bar, you low. 
the name already lets you know it's, it's not a place you really want to go to because it's low the bar. Okay. That might not be a good interpretation, but that's what it said. <laughs> Y'all know I'm kind of crazy. So he was in Lodabar. Then the king David sent and fetched him out of the house of my car, the son of Emilio, from Lodabar. Now, when Mophibosheth, now this might be a hard one. I want y'all to say Mophibosheth with me. Mophibosheth. Y'all good. It took me a week to learn how to say that. Mophibosheth. Thank you. You got it. That was, <laughs> that was Jonathan's son. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, who came unto David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, thy servant. Because when you meet somebody great, you don't come to them like, oh, I'm just as good as you. You come to them as a servant. You come to them in humility, humble. He said, Behold, thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not. For I will surely show thee kindness for Jonathan, thy father's sake, and we will restore thee all the land, and thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Amen. May the Lord add a blessing to the word, the hearer, the reader, and especially the hearer and the doer of this word. Amen. Now, we're talking about the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Now, the Bible said that he was lame in both feet. I'm going to talk about it a little bit more later, but uh, early on, you ain't got to look it up now, but you get a chance when you get home, go to 2 Samuel in the fourth chapter. It tells how Mephibosheth had been accidentally dropped by his nursemaid, his caretaker. Because if you had a little money, you didn't take care of your kids yourself. You had a, a maid or a nursemaid, somebody who helped with the, with the babies. Now, during the time when she found out, the nursemaid found out that Jonathan and Saul had been killed, they had to run quickly. And when they had to leave quickly, she had the baby in her arms, who she loved, because you don't let nobody take care of your baby unless you know they love them. You don't let no anybody come to your house and babysit your kids. So this was the babysitter and had Mephibosheth. And as she was running, she dropped him. Dropped the baby. Didn't mean to drop the baby, but it was an accident. Dropped the baby. When the baby fell, he hit both of his feet. Now, this was in the biblical times. They didn't have doctors and orthodontics and people who could do x-rays and reset the legs. So he grew up lame, not being able to walk, not being able to move. And I just want to preach for the next 20 minutes. Somebody dropped me. Tell your neighbor, somebody dropped me. <laughs> Somebody dropped me. Mofibosheth. Mm, mm, mm. Somebody dropped Mofibosheth. Mm, mm, mm. And somebody dropped us too. Now, when David first came to Saul, his friendship with Jonathan grew. But they grew, and the Bible says they were closer than brothers. Sometimes you're running to people in your life, and you just like them. Amen? Some people you run into people, and you just don't like them. And that's when you have to turn up your Christianity and say, I love you, but really, you'll be like, you get on my nerves, but I'm going to love you because God told me to. But he ran into Jonathan. He just loved him like a brother. Uh, Deacon Randy, we've been knowing each other since the seven, seven Man, you old. We've been knowing each other since about 73. Now, we parted for years and came back together, but I've been knowing them. And we had that kind of connection back then. We just, we just was, was tighter. Than, than I was tighter than him, and he was tighter than me than he was with some of our brothers. And you meet somebody like that. 
So that's what David did with Saul. And once he went through all these ups and downs, like a lot of us do, when he finally came to himself and came in a good situation, he said he wanted to bless somebody out of his family because his friend was dead. So he said, is there anybody left in the family? Once you get on your feet and once you get everything together, um, some of y'all are young. Once you get everything together and you done got stuff together, you say, you know what? I've been working all my life. I want to bless somebody. Who am I going to bless? Is there anybody left in my friend's house that I could bless? Is there anybody in need that I could bless? So he said, I want to bless somebody. Now, when he got ready to bless somebody, they said, Jonathan got one son, Mephibosheth, but he's in Lodabar. Have you ever been to Lodabar? The word Lodabar means no pastors. No rivers flow through Lodabar. It's a dry place. It's a dead place. Don't nothing come. Don't nothing grow in Lodabar. It's a place of death. And whenever somebody don't fit in, they send them to Lodabar. They send them to Lodabar because they're not no good for society the way that we want to do it. You don't fit. You don't look right. Send them to Lodabar. You had an accident in your life. Send them to Lodabar. Somebody dropped you. Send them to Lodabar because we don't want nobody with us but perfect people. We only want the people that's good. But if you mess up, send them to Lodabar. After a time in Lodabar, you don't look at trying to be nobody. Because everything there dead. You wake up in the morning, what am I going to do? Nothing. Where are you going? Nowhere. I'm in Lodabar. Ain't nobody else here got nothing. I ain't got nothing. I'm in Lodabar. That's where they sent the son, the grandson of the king. They sent him to Lodabar because he had an accident that wasn't his fault. And they sent him to a place where everybody was below the bar. They sent him to a bad place, not because he was bad, but because he was in a situation. Have you ever been in a situation? Could you imagine if we sent all our bad people to Lodabar today? That's what they did. And he wasn't a regular person. I can see if he was born with the pheasants. He was born in the palace. But because of an accident, they sent him to a bad place. They sent him to Lodabar. After a while, after being in Lodabar, you stop trying to be anybody. Your dreams and your hopes. I'll never be nobody because I'm in Lodabar. And the, the thing is, that all of us have been dropped. Somebody dropped you too. They dropped me in the middle of the inner city in a poor neighborhood in a poor situation. Come on. So the only people who I looked up to was the people who was in a poor situation who was messed up because they was in Lodabar and they didn't have nothing going on so I didn't think I was supposed to have nothing going on either. And it wasn't my fault. I didn't ask to be dropped. It ain't that mama didn't love me. It ain't that my daddy wasn't glad I was born, but I was born in, somebody say Lodabar. Lodabar. <laughs> and not only when you get dropped, not only do it affect you, but it affects everybody that's connected to you. See, because they said when, when, when they dropped him, they sent him to Lodabar to, steer, to live with Michael. I might not be pronouncing his name right. It don't matter. Y'all know what I'm talking about. He went to live with Makar. Now, the name Makar means doing business. That's what the name means. His name meant doing business. He was a businessman, but guess what? He couldn't do business no more because he had to take care of Mephibosheth. Makar wasn't dropped, but because the baby was dropped and he had to take care of the baby, he can't do business. So even though the baby was dropped, not only did it affect him, it affected the person he was living with. I know a lot of people couldn't go to school because they had to babysit. Why come you ain't got no degree? Why you ain't got no college? 
because I ain't had nobody but me and mama and the other kids, and I'm the oldest, so I had to stay at home and watch them, so I didn't get to go to school because somebody dropped me. You understand what I'm saying now about some people just get dropped. It's not that they want to live that kind of way, but they've been dropped. Somebody dropped me. And Maycar couldn't even do business because he'd been dropped. It's a ripple effect. Even though his grandfather was the king and his father was son of the king and they grew up being all kind of opportunities. It's just like they say, well, everybody else pulled themselves up by their bootstrap. Why don't you pull yourself up by the bootstrap? Because in Lodabar ain't nobody got no boots. What you going to pull yourself with? It's easy to say, pull yourself up and do like I, but I didn't, uh, you're not a good father. I ain't never seen a good father because in Lodabar ain't no daddies there. Well, you're not a good parent. You're not a good mother. That's because in Lodabar, it ain't no whole bunch of good mothers there. So they didn't see what a mother looked like. So they grew up not knowing how to be a good mother. They grew up not knowing how to be a good father. They didn't have education because the schools in Lodabar, the teacher didn't care. The teacher didn't care if you made it or not. They just went to work to get their check. They go to work for a few minutes and they go right because they in Lodabar. Had they been in a palace, they would really have on their mind, ooh, this is great. Let me teach them so you could grow up and be somebody. But they was in Lodabar, so they say, you ain't going to grow up and be nobody no way. So ain't no sense in me putting a heart. You don't feel like studying? Well, you ain't got to study. When we was in high school, we was in Bowman High School down on Natural Bridge in North City. We was in high school, and my science teacher, he used to have a coffee cup all the time, but it wasn't coffee in it. He used to have a cup of vodka all the time. And when we came into the science class, I forgot his name, but when we came into, huh, you remember? Well, we, when we came into the class, we had, it was a code. If an administrator or somebody walked in the room, everybody turned to page 68 and played like we were studying. And this is high school. So was I supposed to learn? He graduated. I dropped out senior year. I dropped out of high school. Now, how smart is that? <laughs> he said, not very smart. <laughs> You're right. It wasn't. Senior year. But I was in Lodabar. And nobody told me that I could be anybody. Kind of crazy. Have you ever been to Lodabar? Watch this. Don't ask me what, don't ask me how, please don't. He was lame in both feet. But Mofiba said, had a son. Don't ask me how he had a son. Well, y'all know how he had a son. But, <laughs> but usually when you're in bad shape, you procreate. What do you mean? The Hebrews. They say the more the Hebrews was afflicted, the more they grew. Some of y'all look like Bible scholars. Y'all know the story of Leah. The Bible said that the more that they hated her, the more God blessed her womb. Sometimes the more you hate it, the more you grow. I got to saying, I say, tell all my haters. Y'all know what they mean when they say haters. That means that people that don't like you because God is blessing you or because you're going up. We call them haters. I say, tell all the haters, watch my flow. The more you hate me, the more I grow. So hate on, haters, hate on. He had a son. Now watch this concept. The son was born in Lodabar. Can you imagine being born in Lodabar? He was born in a place where nobody cared. Guess what? You might know it. But I searched time. And I looked and I looked and I'm, I'm searching Lodabar. And guess what I found? I looked up Lodabar and guess what one of the words for Lodabar was? Ghetto. Ghetto. Yeah. For real. I said, so you mean Lodabar is the ghetto? Can you imagine being born in the ghetto? Yeah, I guess I could. I would. But 
You born in a place where nobody cares. He didn't ask to be there. It ain't that his mama didn't love him, but his mama was born in, 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 in Lodabar. His daddy was sent to Lodabar and had no legs. He had legs, but they didn't work. Jesus didn't come by and heal him because everybody don't get healed. I don't care how anointed you are, how much power you got, and how much you believe, some people don't get healed. He didn't get healed. So they shipped him off to the hood, to Lodabar. They shipped him off because he was different. They shipped him off because he talked funny. They shipped him off because he had a limp in his walk. They shipped you off. And then everybody has something wrong with them. Everybody been dropped. I got some friends who, who made it through everything, but guess what? They mama didn't love them. They mama never showed them love. She loved my sister, Maddie, but then she loved me. Mom and daddy broke up, so I never saw my father. That's being dropped. You know what I'm saying? Mama had a little issue. If she didn't take her medication, she would say all kind of crazy stuff. But nobody talked about it. But here she is. She raised you. Now here you are, got a child, and you don't know how to be a mother because you didn't have. Somebody dropped you. They didn't mean to drop you. When the, when the nursemaid dropped Mephibosheth, it wasn't because she didn't love him. It was because it was an accident. But because of the accident, people pay for that for the rest of their lives and their kids and their grandkids and their great-grandkids. Who told you that people that was a different color wasn't as smart as you? Who told you that they couldn't be educated? Somebody dropped you and told you, watch out, because they ain't no good. You've been dropped. Who told you that they don't need nothing? And if you give them anything, they're going to tell you. Somebody dropped you. Somebody taught you that. I got uh, um, one, of, one of our pastors, uh, Evangelist Clark. He's uh, Indian, right? And we run through the neighborhood a lot. Most people think that he's just a regular white guy, but he's an Indian guy. And he said somebody dropped him. His father told him that all women were loose. And no good. So he's been married five times. <laughs> because he don't know how to deal with women because he was taught that none of them were any good. Somebody dropped him. He wasn't dropped in the ghetto. He wasn't dropped in a bad place. He's not disabled. But somebody dropped him because they taught him a falsehood. Look back over your life and see where you got dropped at. Some people, I know the praise team did an awesome thing. Awesome. We got some people who can sing their butt off, but they scared to sing because somebody dropped them and gave them low self-esteem. And they got voices like angels, but you would never hear it because they shy because somebody dropped them when they were young. Am I right? You've been dropped. But the difference is some of us Landed better than others. Thank you. All of us have been dropped. But it just so happened when I got dropped, I landed in Lodabar. But there's some folks that got dropped and landed in Jefferson County. Amen. You can get dropped and land in the White House. We ain't going to go there. <laughs> All of us are dropped, but we, some people land in cushier places than others, but that don't mean that they don't have problems. Some people get, they got dropped on their head. They, <laughs> they go all good, but they, you know, they, they uh, you know, a can short of a six pack or something, you know what I'm saying? They got little issues. But when they fail, they fail in a cushiony situation. They fail in a family. They landed in a family where mom and daddy worked all their life and they got college funds and they got things set up. But they've been dropped just like I was. But they didn't land in a place where it wasn't nothing there. They didn't land in Lodabar. 
They laying it out in the suburbs. Imagine if some of the people you know were born in Lodabar. How would they turn out? Would that doctor be a doctor today? Would that lawyer be a lawyer today? If they didn't have people around them pushing them? I'm a unity preacher. I bring people together. When I was in the world, I sold drugs. I used to bring drug dealers together. They didn't like each other. Oh, man, I ain't going down there with little Joe. I say, man, come on, we're going to meet over here. All right, I'm going to do it for you, Phil. Well, I don't like him. I don't like Mark. I don't like Kill Creek. I don't like Duke, but do it for me. And they would come together. I had a talent to bring people together. But I didn't know that was my gift that God was going to use in the kingdom. Everybody is gifted, but it depends on where you fail at and where you landed. I landed in the hood, so I was using the gift that God gave me with dope dealers and drug dealers and killers and murderers and crooks and thieves. But I was fortunate because God put a calling on my life and he pulled me out. He pulled me out. I did. I started selling drugs when I was 11 years old. I was dropping off packages. I rode a little bike with banana seed and butterfly handlebar. <laughs> and I have a quarter pound of drugs on the mall. I'm dropping them off for my big brothers. Then when I was 15, I went to church with my sister and I got saved. Sound like a good story, don't it? Guess what? It was the wrong church. Some of the leaders... <laughs> Some of the leaders was messed up. And, and, and I'm not going to talk about a lot of it, but demonic activity is real. The Bible talks about it. Demon possession is real. So one of the preachers, he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. So I'm following the preachers because God called me to preach when I was 15. Now, I started selling drugs at 11. So when I stopped and gave my life to God at 15, I stopped doing a whole bunch of stuff. So I run over to the preacher's house and a girl come in that was possessed. So they trying to pray and cast the devil out of the girl and do all that kind of stuff. And the girl eyes turned over about five times, turned green, red, purple, and yellow. Point over, look at me, and a voice came out and said, I'm going to get you. I said, okay, this battle is not mine. Scared the mess out of me. I left the preacher's house and went back to the dope house. And went back into a life of drugs and everything else. So God called me and I never forgot God, but I hadn't been taught. That's why it's so important to teach and to teach leaders and to teach people about God. I hadn't been taught that the devil is a lie and everything he tell you is a lie. And when he say you ain't going to make it, that means you are going to make it. And when he say you ain't going to get well, that means you will get well. And when he say you ain't going to never be nothing, that means you are going to be something. Because the devil is a liar. So, but I would go back to the dope house, start selling drugs. I have a little, uh, I have a little altar set up in the dope house with a little pillow and a Bible on it and candle beside it. And no, they knew not to mess with it. And then I would pray to God that I get a good package that I could sell good dope. Confused. Somebody dropped. I guess they, maybe they did drop me on my head. I don't know. I'm praying for God. Ooh, let me do a good thing. For the drugs. But I did what most people did. I got high on my own supply. I got addicted. By the time I got close to my 30s, I was addicted on cocaine and heroin. Went to prison. Went to prison the first time. I'd been locked up about 19 times when I was 21, so jail was no big deal. So I went on skid through that little time in jail, got out of jail, went right back to the street. But God kept on messing with me. Come on. I would go and I would get high and it didn't feel good. You know, you get high and it feel good. I drink a fifth and I still, it, it wasn't there. Women didn't, didn't work. By this time, I don't know how many kids I had. Had a bunch of them. They was gone. Last time I went to prison, I got out. One of my daughters was strung out on cocaine. One of my daughters had a dope house. My other daughter was pregnant by uh, one of the drug dealers in the projects. And my other daughter was a lesbian. Because 
when somebody drops you, it's a ripple effect, and it affects your whole family. Not all of them in, in church. One of them is an assistant pastor. One of them do praise and worship. One of them do this. One of them, all of them with me. We go to church. If, if don't nobody come, we still got 25 people just counting my kids. <laughs> and my grandkids. And that means something. I got grandsons. So last time I got incarcerated, I got incarcerated. It was, they were supposed to give me 21 years. The judge, his head spent around on his shoulders, and he said, I'm going to give you another chance. But I had to stay in jail for almost a year. While I was in jail, somebody slid a radio headphone set. They slid it up under my cell. I got the radio set, and for some reason, it only got bot radio. So I'm in jail. The only thing I can listen to is commentaries, the Bible answer man. I'm listening to R.C. Stroll, and people are like, I'm in jail. That's the only station that the radio got. So I start reading the Bible. I read the Bible. I read the King James Version from cover to cover. I read a Catholic study Bible from cover to cover. I read the NIV, the SEV. I read everything from cover to cover. I start telling them, bring me commentaries. Bring me Bible dictionaries. Bring me books. I want to read and find out who this God is. I started a Bible study in prison. They came and told me, they said... They said, you cannot do this because you are causing riot, a riot. I said, we study in the Bible. They put me in a hole. Like you see on TV, they actually put me in a hole in jail because I was having Bible study. So I started reading about Paul. <laughs> and I prayed. But guess what? The doors didn't open like they did <laughs> I thought the doors, they didn't open. I guess he said, my grace is sufficient. <laughs> I ain't letting you out yet. But I finally got out. And I got out, and God sent me back to a church that I used to go to. I didn't want to go to that church. I, I've been changed. But sometimes God is sending you back to that place. Because he has to restore you. I was restored in the spirit, but I had to be restored in the flesh. So I got restored. Then... I found out the church was kind of crooked, but I, I made myself submit up under that leadership because it was still God's house. And I submitted. And I stayed until this old white guy <laughs> came to preach one time. And one time, a guy was preaching. He turned around. And he was preaching about the... Uh, What's that disease where it be y'all stuff all the leprosy? He was preaching about the lepers. And he turned around. I'm sitting over here. And he's preaching. He said, why should I sit here and die? And something pierced my heart. He said, why should you sit here and die? And I said, it's time to start a church. Because these people, ain't nobody coming in. Only people came in was church for. What about the people? Because I still had a heart for my drug buddies and the prostitutes and all them folks who I used to hang with. And I said, they're not going to come in this church because y'all too holy. Y'all ain't real. Y'all lying. Y'all saying y'all perfect. Ain't nobody perfect. Everybody got some dirt on them. Otherwise, he wouldn't have had to die. We wouldn't need salvation. So I heard the Spirit say, start a church. So I started a church. I didn't have no papers. Didn't have no degree. Didn't have no money. Didn't go downtown to get the paperwork. I was working two jobs, convicted felon. I went to a restaurant, used to be the salad bowl, a couple of brothers owned it down in the city. I went, I said, I need to uh, rent some of your space for on Sundays to have service. They say, yeah, okay, give us $500 a month. I said, okay, I wrote them out a check. I walked out the door saying, what in the world did I, they must have dropped me on my head. Cause what am I, I ain't got no people, I ain't got nothing. I just wrote these people a check, I, don't, I ain't have but $1,500 in the bank. Wrote them a check for $500. Went to the pine shop and said, let me get an amplifier and some microphones. I said, give me some cheap stuff because I'm just starting out. Guess what the guy at the pine shop said? No, we're going to give you the good stuff because God's going to bless you. The guy at the pine shop told me that. 
You hear me? Started the church. My daughters who was out there started coming back one at a time. Then here come my other daughter. Then here come my other daughter. Then here. Oh, yeah. Come on. Amen. Moved out to Sally Bowl, got a church in the hood. I was working for the medical field. My time is up. That's it. No, I'm going to finish. I think I said, no, tell me what happened. Anybody want me to tell them what happened? Yeah. Thank you. So, <laughs> over in the hood, we do it like this. We say, can I have one more minute? And they say, yeah, raise your hand if I can have one more minute. They say, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. <laughs> anyway, so got a job in the metal field. I was making pretty good money. The doctor liked me because I didn't curse and I didn't do anything because I was a real Christian. Didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't do all that kind of stuff. Some people do that. Anyway, he said, I'm going to send you to school to learn how to work on these machines that you work on. I was a patient care tech for kidney patients. He sent me to school. I was the only person at the school who didn't have a degree. Sent me to Chicago to learn how to work on kidney machines. It was doctors in the office. I dropped out of high school. What am I doing here? But God sent me there. It wasn't too many black people in this. <laughs> the thing, too, it was a, a real quick course to teach you how to work on this stuff. So I come back. I get a good job. Everything is going good. The church going good. We rent the building out of me and cost $1,600 a month. Before that, when I was in the other church, the rent went number $500 a month. If people didn't pay tithes and offerings, I could pay the bills myself because my church was full of ex-addicts, ex-convicts, ex-prostitutes. Some of them was not exes. They were still operating. So our offering would be $300. So we had no money. Didn't get paid. Still don't get paid now. So... We moved in another church. I got a good job. I said, okay, we're going to make it. I get congestive heart failure. At the time, the owner, the guy who owned Ruth Chris, y'all know that big expensive steak place? The guy who owned it was trying to start a dialysis company. He couldn't get it going, so he sold the company. I was working for him. So he said, well, drop your insurance, and when we get the other company deal done, you get your insurance back. But when I didn't have insurance, I got congested heart failure. They took me off work, said I couldn't work no more. So here I am with no money in the bank, a church, no money, and I'm sick. And I said, God, I thought you called me. He said, I did. And that's when you get to reading the Psalms and stuff, and you say, if you could worship me down there, if you worship me up here when you had, can you worship me when you ain't got nothing? Did I really call you? If I called you, then you keep on standing. You keep on going. You hear what I'm saying? So I kept going. By this time, we started to pastor a fellowship. And the donor, the one who bought them 800 turkeys, he said, Pastor Phil, what you going to do? You done rented this big old church. The faith church, one of these big churches out in the county, said they was going to buy the building that I was renting. So uh, Metro Baptist called me and say, yeah, well, we're going to give you the first chance to buy the building. I ain't got no money. I'm going to buy the building. I ain't got no money or no credit. So the guy said, well, Pastor Phil, maybe we could take this old raggedy building and sell it, and we'll buy the church. The building was too raggedy. They couldn't fix it. So he said, you want me to just loan you the money? I said, yeah. So he loaned me the money to buy the church. But the congregation ain't got no money because we got a whole bunch of exes because we help people who ain't got money. So it might be 100 people at church today, down at the church. It might be 100 people. When we got ready to try to make a loan and do something, they said you could only prove that 15 out of them 100 people got good jobs that pay tithes because most of the people need help because we're in the hood because our church is in Loderball. Amen. It's a church up the street, 15 blocks up the street, up, up a middle-class church. Everybody there come from somewhere else. They don't have no hood people. It's a lady stay across the street from the church. I know because somebody left their church and joined my church. I know that their budget is over $3 million a year. I know that they send over half a million dollars overseas, which is good. But there's a lady across the street from the church needed some food. She went over there and couldn't get nothing. She walked 15 blocks from that church that got a million dollars down to our church. And we fed her and gave her a bag of groceries. And I, I can't even pay the light bill at our church. So it's kind of messed up 
So I love the fact that we do mission work and we have to do it. But one of the things that I'm trying to get people to do is to figure out if you got a budget and you sending so much money overseas and the people in your own backyard are dying, ain't something out of whack. Something out of whack. You, this lady walk across the street, the church got a $3 million a year budget, and y'all ain't got no food for her. She walked 15 blocks to my church to get some food, and we can't even pay our bills. Something wrong with the way we do stuff. It's the comfort level. Because they're more comfortable dealing with people from overseas than they are with the people in their own neighborhood. Because if you confront the people in your neighborhood, you got to deal with them. So nobody in their neighborhood went to that church. But they spent half a million dollars overseas. So what, think what would happen if a lot of these, those suburban churches would take 10% of their overseas money and put it in the inner city. I want to start a drug and alcohol program. But my roof is leaking in the church. I want to do a computer class to teach some of these folks on the corner who robbing and stealing. It's jobs out here, but they don't know how to sit across. Now they could walk up to your face, cuss you out and do all kinds of stuff, but it scares them to sit across the table and have an interview. And when they say, tell me why I should hire you, hire you, they don't know how to talk. They know how to play games on a computer. But they don't know how to fill out an application. So why come we can't start no computer class? Because we can't pay the bills. When I started the church, I'll tell you how I started this church. It's churches all over the inner cities that start in their basement. Most of the pastors, they don't have degrees. They can't go to no seminary or go to no Bible college. They barely graduated out of school. So now here they are. If they know how to preach and they charismatic and they got a real story, then they church going to grow. Next thing you know, they got 50 people, then they got 100 people. They not, they unlearned. And most of the people in their church unlearned and they got no money. And the people who do come, our church 17 years old. People come to our church, they get their life together, they get cleaned up. I buy people bus passes. I got one guy sent them to uh, truck driving school, help him get to school, get all that kind of stuff. As soon as they get on their feet, guess what they do? They leave the city and go out to the county to a church that's already got money. So when they come to church and we help them while they're throwing up and getting sick and trying to get off their drugs and get their life back together and dealing with baby mama drama and all that stuff, when they get themselves together, they leave. And so here we are at a church where people really need help at, but we can't help nobody. So I believe the beginning of unity is understanding. You have to understand who your people are. And that's why I preach somebody dropped me. All of us have been dropped. Can we do like David when we have times of peace and say, is there anybody that I could bless? And instead of going up the road to Loderball, we go 100 miles away when we got people in Loderball that need our help. And that's what my vision is. To keep on helping the people that's overseas. But can we do something for Loderball? Can we do something for the people who got dropped? Where my sister? Get on the piano. I'm finna pray and sit down. We need to do something for the folks that got dropped. Amen. Nobody woke up and said, I want to be a crackhead. No woman woke up. Play something soft and Nobody woke up and said, I want to have eight babies. Nobody woke up and said, I want to be a prostitute and sell my body to the highest bidder. Didn't nobody wake up like that. They got dropped. They got low self-esteem. But why don't they just go get jobs? Because they scared. I got locked up. 19 times before I was 21. Sometimes you get a record. It's a lot of people who have mental illness that's in prison. I've been there. A lot of people in trouble. 
You can't get no regular job. Then I get people. I'm working with Meals for Million from St. Charles. They used to send everything overseas. Last year, they sent a lot of stuff down through the city. And I think we did 140,000 meals from Meals for Millions. But the thing about it, when they do that, they don't give us money. They just say, come get this food. The millionaire, the one who bought all the food, he called me and said, hey, Pastor Phil, we got 2,000 turkeys at Walmart in Fenton. Go pick them up. How am I going to pick up 2,000 turkeys? They won't, they won't fit in the church, man. So I have to ask the pastors, let's take up a collection and let's go get these turkeys and we pass them out. So it's, it's, it's not easy. But guess what? I'm the happiest person I know. I don't have a house. I stay at the church. Me and my wife, we stay at the church. My first wife passed a cancer. I thought I'd never love again. I thought I'd never do anything. But God said, you're doing too much work to be by yourself. So he sent me a wife. <laughs> and I'm about to sit down. But he sent me somebody that didn't mind giving their whole life to God. Because it ain't about you no more. What are you going to do with the time you got left? What do you want to be known for? If you die today, you already know you're going to heaven, but what else? What can you say you did? Who can you say you have? Well, we helped this and we did that. What about Loderball? So my story is Loderball. Can we help the people in Loderball? Can we understand that they just like us, but they got dropped? I made it out. You know, most people who on heroin and crack don't make it out. I'm happy. I'll be 60 on my next birthday. I go to the gym three days a week. I can jump up and down. I got friends 10 years younger than me that can't walk because their life been messed up. I'm blessed. I don't, it, you ever heard people say, God, if you don't do another thing, you've already done enough. I'm blessed to be here. Why am I out here preaching to y'all from where I come from? Can anything good Come out of Nazareth. Can God bless anybody? Is it worth me going down to help somebody? The guy who came and preached, older white guy. When I started my church, the church was three months old and I didn't know that I needed paperwork. I went and got the paperwork. An old black preacher told me that the uh, older white guy, believe it or not, taught me how to evangelize in the city. In the hood, an old white guy taught me how to evangelize in the inner city. And I'm from the hood. He went home to be with Jesus right now. Bot Radio. Dick Bot, the owner of, Dick, of, of Bot Radio. He came down here when a guy got killed in Ferguson. He came down. He heard my testimony and called me. Came down and talked to me. I went and talked to him. Come to find out that Harold Hendrick, he 81, old, old white guy. Harold Hendrick comes to our meeting sometime. Love him. He invited me to his birthday parties and all that kind of stuff. So he said the guy, his wife know, Mark D. Walker's wife, that's the guy who came down and helped rescue me. His wife called me. Old white lady called me on the phone. And she said, Pastor Phil, could you talk to my children? Because she said they don't understand why Mark was going down to the city all the time doing that work. And they don't think that it meant nothing. And the fact that he took me under his wing. 20,000 people got fed. Out of the ministry that God had me start. People getting fed. Things are happening. Because he said I'm not going to be selfish. He said, I'm going to help somebody and I'm going to work with somebody because they might not look like they're worth it today, but they're worth it. We don't know what prostitute going to turn out to be another woman who's going to teach women how to be a good wife, how to be a good, how to be a good homekeeper. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to pray out. We had a church at one time 
going through the processes before we got in this church. We was at church over on Martin Luther King, over in the west part of the city, a bad part, prostitutes and everything else. I'm standing outside working on the church. A lady come by. I could tell she's a streetwalker. She's a prostitute. She said, hey, you that preacher? I said, yeah. She said, I'm the lady who was sitting in the back of the church crying, right? Now, I know this is going to sound kind of strange, but look what she did. She said, I'll be back. She flagged down the car, went and turned the trick, came back, gave me some money talking about this is my ties. Well, you shouldn't have took her money, Pastor. I didn't take her money, but I couldn't give it back to her because she thought that she was doing what she had to do. Lady came down the street. She said, you don't understand. She said, these girls on the street who strung out, she said, I have to take them in cubby holes and in alleyways and pray for them so they can make it through the night. We talking about the prostitutes because they scared of getting raped and robbed and beat up. This is another prostitute. She said that she prayed with the girls that they could make it through the night. Existence. She probably one of the greatest evangelists it is, but she on a, she on a stroll. Because somebody dropped her. Let every head bow, let every eye close. Lord, Father, we thank you and we bless you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for David. We thank you for Jonathan. And Lord, we thank you for Mophibosheth. Because he taught us a lesson. That we've all been dropped. And we all need a helping hand. Lord, Father, we thank you for the gathering that we have today. And we pray that this message spreads because all of us need a helping hand and all of us have been dropped. Might be our attitude, might be our situation, might be our thought process. We might not know that we're doing more harm than good. We might not know the missed opportunities we have to advance your kingdom. So today and forevermore, teach us how to receive our neighbor. When your son was asked, what's the greatest commandments? He said, the first is that you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The second is that's the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. These things we ask in the name of the Most High God and the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost in Jesus' name. All hearts in agreement say amen. Amen. And amen.